This is the Real Digital Transformation podcast series, empowering technology and business professionals to succeed with digital transformation. Now, here's your host, best-selling author Thomas Earle. Hi, this is Thomas Earle, and welcome to another episode of the Real Digital Transformation podcast series. Today, I have with me Pia Wendelbo, co-founder of Scandinavian Change Agents, and Pia is here to discuss with us the importance of holistic thinking in digital transformations. Pia, welcome. Thank you so much, Thomas. Really nice to be on here. Super. So when we talk about mental attitudes, a mental framework, a thinking um, process as it relates to carrying out digital transformation, as it relates to being successful with digital transformation. What can you tell us about that? I think that the mental uh, attitude is, is a really important thing, uh, talking about transformation in general. And it's some t- some, often some t- things that people don't really put that much effort into. Um, so so it's, it's a lot about, um, how should I put it, uh, going uh, really, really making sure that when you are working on a transformation in a company, that you also care for, for the, each person that is involved in that transformation. And so in terms of the perspective of each person in that transformation, there are different people in different roles and there's management who oversee the transformation there are those affected by the results of the transformation, such as the introduction of new automation technology that might supplant employees to different roles or augment what they do. How do you factor all that in? How do you come up with a plan to support the, uh, the mental process, the, um, the mental health of the culture of the organization that takes all that into account? Where do you start? Yeah, usually I start by going into the helicopter and really taking an, an, um, a holistic view of, of the whole thing. Because exactly as you were mentioning here, many companies um, don't normally when they do a transformation, they don't necessarily take everything into account. So so I would say that you, you kind of have to not just look at your customer needs or your uh, market content or that kind of thing as well uh, when you are trying to do a bigger change in it all in a company. So, so you also definitely have to take care of each person. Um, and part of this is actually going in and trying to understand what's happening uh, sort of from a mental point of view with the person when you're in a change or in a transformation. And that goes from, from the top to the bottom. Um, and what you do is that you, you actually try to work with a lot of different tools um, within the behavioral design uh, methodology and also uh, neuroscience to really understand where you as a person is coming from and how you are affected by a change. And it can be small stuff. Um, so, so one of the most important things here is, is actually uh, giving the bandwidth. So what I often see uh, when we work on bigger transformation is that companies don't really realize how much impact it actually has on a person's, as you said, way of working, daily routines, stuff like that. And if you want to change that, um, 
then you need, as a first thing, you need to give uh, bandwidth. So the Slack, uh, as you've probably um, heard before, is exactly a really, really, really important thing to start off with, to discuss that uh, when you want to kick off a successful uh, transformation. So what is a typical um, process? Let's say focusing on the worker whose role so far has been affected by the introduction of automation. What they've been doing historically for the organization is now going to be um, replaced with automation technology doing the job instead. And that that worker, uh, depending on how the organization chooses to um, allocate or reallocate their their employees, that worker is either asked to train uh, to undergo more training for a new role or to shift to another department that is not being automated that perhaps could use some of the existing skill sets or that worker is asked to maybe uh, do something new altogether, perhaps a new career path altogether, perhaps with the support of the organization. The the mental health and the emotional um, considerations are, mm-hmm. are most uh, discussed in relation to those directly impacted by the introduction of automation. Um, tell us from your experience, what have you seen? What is what is a way, what, what are best practices for supporting that? What are common scenarios that need to be dealt with? Are, are those affected usually in a, in a negative um, mm-hmm. frame of mind when they learn about the change in their, in their work? life and and what they will have to do or if there's support from the organization to retrain them to do new things perhaps more fulfilling things is that usually received in a positive light or does it depend on the individual tell us a bit about what you've seen your experiences in that regard Mm -hmm. and some best practices that organizations can use to deal with that the best way yeah, exactly. Um, I would say that that from that point of view, it's really, really important that you create a space uh, for learning and growth where it's positive to be and where it's it's fine to fail. Because I think when when exactly the situation that you were describing here, first thing that usually comes to people's mind is like, will I be good enough? Can I do this? What is happening to my job? You know, where am I going? Uh, how will I fit in? Uh, that kind of thing. So the fear of failing uh, and the fear of not being good enough, the imposter syndrome, all of these things usually pops up into to, to people's heads as some of the first things. You're fully right about that. But if you kind of create um, an echo uh, system around those people and, and try to take care of them from the beginning of this, trying to explain where, where you're going and also let them be part of it. So they are kind of the ones also figuring out what is going on here, teaching them about uh, the new technology and what is going on and seeing the possibilities, then then it's usually easier to cope with. And another really important thing in this journey is actually to learn, um, to, to teach each person what is going on from a mental point of view, that we are all actually going through these change cycles. So whenever something new is, is um, thrown at your head, you, you, you will at some point uh, go down and say, Ooh, what's, what is actually going on here? And how can you then work with turning this around? So, so if you are a team around you, that you, you actually support each other, that it's okay to say out loud that this is not something I necessarily know how to deal with. 
that kind of thing. So you really create a supportive environment around you. That That is a very important uh, step here, I would say. And then, of course, the whole management team um, is really important here. So so taking the, the, the time to actually going in and being empathic and trying to understand where people come from is, uh, is, is very important in this, uh, in this game as well. Uh, so, so it's actually a lot about the empathy, uh, trying to understand people's uh, situation and being open about where you are and catering for different feelings because it's, it's very different between people, how they react to this. But if you're a strong team and you're kind of there together, uh, then it usually makes it easier. That you have this open environment. Does it make sense uh, what I'm saying here, uh, Thomas? That you have this open environment where where you're allowed to speak out. Right, and you know there are different types of cultures, some of which are more entrenched in traditional ways than others yeah. that may be yeah. more contemporary or or perhaps you know more adaptable. But if you're trying to digitally transform an organization that has deep roots in in, um, in in processes and routines and tasks and division of responsibilities and boundaries between departments. They've always mm-hmm. done this. We've always done that. I've, yeah. I've always done this this way. And, yeah. and you now introduce this uh, new way where much of that is um, shaken up and changed and and um and and you may communicate to them about the reason behind uh all this change and the ambition of becoming more disruptive and competitive and more successful in changing markets as being the 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 motivation behind all this mm. but for those who don't share your excitement for that and who are just plain resistant to to change because it affects them too much or it affects their, their teams too much. And they're worried about layoffs and whatever, Mm -hmm. you know, Um, how, how do you uh, come up with a, a plan? How do you apply strategies Mm -hmm. like behavioral design and, and, and using neuroscience? How do you um, put a plan together for an organization that, uh, you expect to, or you already know, is resisting this type of change, mm-hmm. without it, you know, developing into um, a negative culture that is forced to do something it doesn't want to do, and then there's resentment and grudges and so on. How how, how do you deal with with that type of um, upfront attitude that you know that may be uh, unavoidable in some types of organizations? Yes, and and it, there there will always be people in an organization usually that that is a, is a bit more difficult to move into another direction. And as as you're saying, it it's not enough just to be motivated. Uh, that is actually one of the ground rules. Also working with with behavioral design, that a lot of this is not just to do with the motivation, but it's actually founded in in the ways that we behave, um, like our patterns and that kind of thing. So so what I would do in a, in a case like that is that I would actually go back and then I will be really curious about how things are, are, are going today. So what are people working with today? How does their, their flows look like today? 
um, what exactly are they doing? What kind of pains could we foresee? So it's, it's really important to actually spend some time on analyzing and trying to come up with all the pains that we think could be there from those each person's perspectives to really understand those pains. And then when you have those pains, um, then you'll try to come up with specific solutions for each of these uh, pains, actually. And that can be many different things. Uh, some of it can be on high level, some of it can be on, on very operational level. Generally, when you want to do transformations like these, you have to have these very operational triggers as well uh, that you put into your system. So it's not enough that you want people to change the way they work. You also need to help them along the way to actually make it happen because even those who are motivated still get stuck in their own habits and old ways of doing it. So you have to have certain triggers in place that supports people in actually doing things the new way. And also being together as a team, uh, more individuals going together, working on this together and keep on sort of talking about it, tracking it, um, also sort of, sort of helps each other in keeping the, the new way of working up and going. So it can be as simple as let's say you want to introduce new new way of doing meetings. There's so much time wasted on meetings uh, nowadays, right? You spend so much time on that. Um, so what you want to do here is that you want to change the way that people uh, work around meetings. Can you still hear me, Thomas? Yes, yes, I'm still here. Okay, uh, sorry about that. Um, I thought that the, we, did we lose uh, contact? I think so. Um, yeah, so, so giving a simple example as, as uh, sort of the meeting culture as, as one thing. Um, here, what you want to do is that to help people have less meetings or shorter meetings, you will put in an operational trigger. So what you will do is that you will actually integrate into your meeting system the, the option that people can only book 30 minutes meetings, whereas it used to be an hour, for instance. So that is a, a really, really simple example of how you, as from a behavioral point of view, can put in triggers that helps people to behave in a new way. Uh, and so forth, you can do that with all, sort of all the pains that you kind of um, go in and analyze on. Uh, so, so, of course, it depends on the problem and what you, it is that you are doing. If it's a new customer journey, if it's a new process you're trying to, to uh, upgrade, if it is, as you're saying, new technology um, as such. So you'll go in and analyze around the pains and then you'll come up with, with different solutions on, uh, on how this can actually affect the persons and then try to figure out what you can actually do uh, on this particular topic to, okay. to support. Um, so it's interesting. You said um, put in triggers to um, affect and, and, and change behavior. Is mm -hmm. that part of behavioral design? Yes, it is. Um, for those not familiar with yeah. with that practice, could, could you give us an overview? What what is behavioral design? Is it something specific to um, IT, or is it used outside of IT? And where where is the convergence be uh, between behavioral design as a practice and digital transformation? It'd be great to be, learn a bit more about that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would say for, for I would say that they, uh, that behavioral design can be used 
anywhere. So, so it's it's everywhere. Uh, of course, a lot of the the systems that you see, for instance, Amazon or like a customer journey, e-commerce system, those kinds of more digital uh, journeys. There, you see a lot of behavioral design put into play actually in the way that they are actually guiding the consumers through a, a buying journey. So that's that is uh, that is one example. Um, but but generally, you can say that behavioral design as such is actually understanding how our brains actually work. So it's how we as persons take decisions. That's kind of the basics of what behavioral design is actually about. Um, and if if we go like really, really simple, you can say that the way that we as persons uh, take decisions, we kind of have two systems in our brain. We have a system one and a system two. System one is the one that is where we we sort of have all our habits, things that we are used to doing, run a bike, uh, brush our teeth in the morning, do certain things. Um, and then system two is the system where you kind of process more complicated stuff. Um, and generally, from a behavioral point of view, we as human beings, we are quite lazy. Uh, we don't want to use too much energy. Uh, and that's why we use mainly our system one. So the more we can do that is just things that is easy for us uh, to do in the system one, we, we prefer to do so. And that's why it's so hard to change a habit because habits are just something that automatically happens with uh, sort of on daily routines, right? So if we want to change something there, we need to use our system two and put some effort into actually trying to change that. And mm. that is why... This, for instance, Slack that I started out uh, by saying is so important because if you want to change something, uh, you, as one of the first things, needs to have uh, Slack. Uh, you would need to have time and capacity to actually do things differently. Uh, and that's also why these external triggers are so important because it's so easy to fall back to what you used to do. So... Digital transformations force us to use our system too, because yeah. we need to uh, adapt to change, and we lose our system one routines or some of them. We're, we're forced exactly. to, yeah, yeah, exactly. And so exactly. I guess there's a um, it's taking us out of our comfort zone in many yeah. circumstances. Yeah, okay. Yeah, um, yeah, and then what? What when you you talk about the comfort zone? Also, it's it's exactly that. So you kind of need to teach people different tools to both understand what is going on. You know, so I understand what's going on inside myself uh, because that will make you more resilient. And then also giving them tools to come quicker out of that and then into the new. So you, so instead of being afraid of stepping into something new, you actually see this as an opportunity and something that can build you stronger and being interesting for you. Mm -hmm. Okay. And um, we've been focusing on the internal culture of an organization on its experience through a digital transformation. But I would assume that behavioral design could be applied just as much to how we um, design our solutions from a customer experience perspective. Is that true? Definitely. Definitely. Very, very useful uh, tool when you build new um, solutions, for sure. And yeah. when when you do so, do you approach it differently? I guess, I mean, there, there are different goals um, when designing a customer experience, a customer journey, as opposed to 
you know, um, having to adapt on the back end to all the all of the organizational change. But um, despite it being a different objective, do you use the same behavioral design um, practices? Are you still looking at putting in triggers for certain types of emotional responses? Are you also looking at, you know, uh, profiling customers who may themselves be used to a certain system one routine when it comes to shopping and perhaps introducing um, new experiences that are innovative and perhaps are more like a system two experience, but not, but in a positive way, they, you know, they may go, mm-hmm. Oh, wow, I can do this now. I, and yeah. is, is, do you approach it similarly? Yeah, to a very high extent, yes, uh, you do that because what what generally, um, as we were just talking about this system one and two before, it, it's all about making it easy, and that goes for both internal transformation and and when you are looking at a customer journey, um, or customer experience in in, in a whole of value proposition that you want to create. So so it's a lot about making it easy. That's kind of one of the ground rules of working with behavioral design: make it as easy as possible. And that's why it's so interesting, again, to look at the pain. So, so for a customer journey part, I would always go back again and then trying to deeply understand the pains that the customer are in. Or as you are saying, if you're trying to move customers into a new direction of teaching them a new tool, you have to realize that for them, it's actually an extra effort because maybe they were quite satisfied with what they got already. So why are you now changing your system or making a new function in your app? Why should I spend time on now trying to understand what, what this is about? So exactly as, as, as you pointed out, it's really important to put in some, some triggers that helps the customers see the new value in taking that extra step there and using maybe a little bit of energy first, second time to, to actually use this. So, so it's very, very important that what you are building there is something that immediately creates um, a positive impact for the customers so they can see the value in doing things. Um, and when you apply behavioral design to... Um to like to to designing and, and mapping out a new customer experience um you so you approach it from the customer's perspective uh yes, factoring always. in their their mental process their emotional reaction yes. to certain things to certain triggers yes. so you approach it purely from that perspective and but some IT developers may have ideas for new features, for new things that they want to put out there that they think the customers will like. Do you ever run into a situation where they may want to do certain things, but you can see that that may not actually produce the right trigger or the right emotional response from the customer and you have to tell them to do things differently or perhaps not do certain things at all? in order to preserve the best customer experience. Is there sometimes a bit of tension between what's ideal from a behavioral design perspective as opposed to what uh, may be um, doable from a technology perspective? Mm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You're, you're, you're hitting a soft spot there. Uh, it is often so that even though you want to be fully customer-centric, then sometimes the the, the system, the, the processes internally, um, old legacy solutions or like uh, compliance or stuff like that can actually uh, sort of 
backwards a bit on what you were actually supposed to do in terms of creating the best possible customer during your customer experience. But what I tend to do in these situations is that I create teams that actually represents all these uh, specialists in one room, and then we work together on problem solving. And we try all the time to go back and then saying, okay, if you as an IT, as you came with an example here, if you as, as an IT developer wants to create this certain type of uh, thing, okay, how would you then think that this uh, is, is uh, taken in by the customer? And then having these kinds of discussions and then what you also do and what I definitely recommend to do here is doing a lot of testing. So we do a lot of live testing. So always take the customers into play here. So don't just work on your own hypothesis. Of course, that's really cool to do that first because you want to figure out what you want to test, but then always involve right live customers uh, into your process as well. Because often what we see is that what we think is some great idea internally might not be as good as an idea uh, when it's presented for the customers. So so really, really test for, for the behavioral part of it, of how people are then actually, actually reacting to what you have created. So the mm-hmm. more live you can make a prototype where you actually not just ask people what they think about things but actually make them interact uh, is, is the most effective way because there you will really get their their full sense of what they are feeling if they actually understand what you have built if they are pressing the button you want them to or whatever it is that you're testing mm-hmm. How much in in what you do right now with organizations that are undergoing digital transformation, how much of what you come up with is Mm. based on data that the organization can give you about their customers? So, you know, uh, data, insightful reports and and statistics and other types of um, information that they may have produced using sophisticated machine learning or AI systems. Mm-hmm. How, how, does that uh, does that insight into the market, the customer trends, um, competitors, customers, and so on, does that factor in to how you apply behavioral design? Definitely. The more data you have, the better. I would say if it's a good quality. Definitely. But what I also see is that a lot of companies do have a lot of data, but they are not so good at utilizing it. So so actually what we work a lot with also is trying to help them create a funnel where you also use that data directly in your development. So so when you get some feedbacks, uh, you actually use it directly back into your development uh, teams and then create better solutions. And and that's a whole funnel that you, you actually create there. So you make sure that all the inputs go back and then people are actually collecting them and then putting it into a PI planning, for instance, and then working on it. But it, it's uh, it's more difficult, I would say, than than just to to say it out loud because many want to do it, but uh, many companies are not there yet. They they have a vision of being so, but they are not fully really data customer driven yet. Mm-hmm. Okay, but it's very important. Uh, I would say, and the more you have, the better. But I would always, even though you have a lot of data. Uh, available, I would always still go out and do live testing. Always. Because uh, also when you, for instance, if you work with customer personas, you work with journeys, you work with pain, even um, if you have a lot of uh, previous data collected, 
things usually change a bit or things are maybe a bit different or maybe you're you're targeting a, a slightly different target group or maybe the, the, the product you are, you are trying to develop right now is slightly different from what you did before and so forth. So, so you have to be really careful of just reusing uh, data without looking at uh, new perspectives at the same time, I would say. That makes a lot of sense. I Well, this has been really insightful. Let me just, uh, I know we're a bit over our allocated time. Just one more quick question, Pia, from, from, yeah. your, from your experience. Share, share with our audience um, your top recommendations or best practices for carrying out um, a digital transformation and factoring in holistic thinking, factoring in behavioral design and, and neuroscience. When you look at, look back at all the experiences you've had with that, what are like the top two or three uh, best practices that, that you could suggest? Oh, that's a good question, um, Thomas. Um, I would say it, um, you, you actually have to, you, you actually really have to be curious uh, and listen in because all organizations are different and you actually kind kind of have to to listen in and figure out where where exactly they are on the journey um, and then going from there. But of course, in terms of tools and, and the way of working there, there's a lot of things that you can you can uh, sort of spread out depending on on what organization you are you are looking at. So the basics of understanding that it has to be like really easy, uh, making people understand how we actually take decisions as as, as human beings um, is usually some of the stuff that I start by discussing, also with the top management, because often it is so that they think, okay, we can just implement this and then we are just uh, off the go here. So, so trying really hard to make people understand what is actually behind the way that we as persons take in things. That is usually where I start. Uh, and for some people, that is whole new uh, knowledge. So, so for me, that is kind of the basics. If you understand that, then you can kind of build from there uh, and then take into account, you know, where are these people then and, and then starting to, to, to educating around uh, what it actually makes uh, to, to make these changes. Super. Pia, thank you so much for sharing your experiences and insights with us today. And um, it should be interesting what, what is ahead now with uh, the increasing use of AI and yeah. the additional innovation. I'm sure that'll have a significant uh, influence on, on what you do as well. So I think it'd be great to reconnect uh, in the future to see how things develop in your field. Yeah, for sure. Great. Thanks so much. You're so welcome. Thank you for listening. Follow Thomas on LinkedIn 